Good morning, good morning, Shepherd Church. Let's give the Lord a hand, praise. Anybody love Jesus in the house? Anybody love Jesus? Well, it's a joy uh, to be in one of God's most powerful places on earth, uh, the Great Shepherd Church. Let's give the Lord another hand, praise. I want to welcome everybody here today, and I want to welcome all those watching online around the world. Let's make some noise for all those watching online. I want to thank uh, Pastor Dudley uh, for inviting me to share the word of the Lord this afternoon. I first encountered Pastor Dudley about eight or nine years ago, listening to him on the radio, and I've been stealing his sermons ever since uh, that day. So I should eventually give him an offering, and somebody needs to remind me about that in the future. Uh, but my name is Brian, and I serve as the pastor of Chapel of Change Christian Fellowship in the greater Long Beach area. And my wife and I, my wife Laura and I, have been married for 24 years uh, to the glory of God. We have three beautiful kids, Nathaniel, Sarah, and Sophia. And as Pastor Tim said, you can learn more about my story of radical redemption uh, in my book, Young Man Arise. It's available after service uh, in uh, the uh, lobby. And so I'm excited this morning to jump into the Word of God. Anybody love the Word of God today? I know you do. I know you do. Uh, but let's turn to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. I'm always excited to turn to the word of the Lord, and I believe that God is going to feed us this morning through his word. For the Bible says, man shall not live off bread alone, uh, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Someone say Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, I'm going to say Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to praise God. No, that's not what the word says. It says all people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner, they said. Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, 
Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Last verse, verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And the church said, amen. Amen. Well, Shepherd Church, we are in the middle of a series entitled Saints and Scoundrels, and we are studying about how God's grace and love is so powerful that it saves sinners and turns around and uses them for his great purposes and his divine design uh, in our generation. And I like to remind us That every time we turn to the word of God, uh, it causes us to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Every time we read about Jesus feeding the poor or praying for the sick or raising the dead, it causes us to fall deeper in love with Jesus. And at the end of the day, it's all about falling deeper in love with Jesus more and more and more. And the church says, you see, when you fall in love with Jesus, friends, no one has to tell you to read your Bible. When you fall in love with Jesus, friends, no one has to tell you to come worship the Lord. No one has to tell you to serve as an usher because we do all that out of the overflow of our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now... I'm excited because as we look to the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, it's going to inspire us to fall deeper in love with Jesus. And the first thing that I want us to do is I want to remind us who Zacchaeus is. I want to remind us of who he is. In verse 2, it says that he was a wealthy chief tax collector. He was a wealthy chief tax collector. Now, I want to remind us that in this day, in this particular culture, tax collectors were part of a group that were hated by their own people. In this day and in this culture, tax collectors were part of a group uh, that robbed people. Zacchaeus, I want to suggest to you, was greedy. He was self-centered. I want to suggest to you that Zacchaeus was actually a crook, and I would actually say that Zacchaeus is the original Bernie Madoff. I would even suggest to us in our study today that in some ways Zacchaeus is worse than Judas. Even Judas immediately gave back the money he betrayed Jesus with, but not Zacchaeus. He used the money he robbed people with to buy big houses and to buy big cars. And what's interesting is that his name Zacchaeus means pure. What's interesting is that his name, Zacchaeus, means clean. It means righteous. So what does that tell us? His parents had high hopes for him when he was younger. His parents had high hopes for his life when he was a baby. But somehow, Zacchaeus lost his way. 
Somehow Zacchaeus lost his dignity. Somehow Zacchaeus lost his honor. He lost his respect. He lost his trustworthiness in the eyes of his family and in the eyes of his friends. He lived, I would suggest to us, a rejected and isolated lifestyle. You know how painful it would have been for Zacchaeus to have some beautiful cars but couldn't take nobody in them around town because nobody liked him and nobody trusted him? In the midst of this selfish lifestyle, in the midst of this isolated and rejected lifestyle, our Lord Jesus steps into his story. Our Lord Jesus steps into his life and changes everything. Listen, my friends, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I want to bring out in our study this morning two things that Jesus does to show his love for Zacchaeus, but ultimately he's also showing his great love for you and I today. I want to bring out two things. Someone say number one. Number one, Jesus hunted down Zacchaeus. He hunted down Zacchaeus. This is not an accidental kind of encounter. Jesus doesn't accidentally bump into Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't accidentally stumble upon Zacchaeus. No, no, no. This encounter was deliberate. This encounter was intentional. I want you to notice in the story that Jesus speaks First, I want you to notice in the story that Jesus calls him by name. This is stunning for Jesus to show up and call him by his name. And we see Jesus' intentionality re revealed in several of the verses of this story. Listen to this. In verse 8, Jesus told Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. That's intentionality. In verse 10, Jesus summarizes how he came to Zacchaeus in one of the most revealing verses of Jesus' mission on earth. He says in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That word seek means to pursue. It means to search after. It means to run after. And when we think about the big story, friends, God has been hunting down sinners like you and I ever since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You remember? Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? God has been searching for sinners like a father searches for his runaway son or his runaway daughter. I like what, what Jeremiah or Ezekiel says in 34 verse 16. God says, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I love that about Jesus. I love what God says through the prophet Jeremiah in 16 verse 16. Listen to this, friend. He said, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Look at that phrase. God loves us enough to hunt us down out of the holes this world has thrown us in. God loves us enough to hunt us down out of the holes that we have thrown ourselves in because of sin. 
Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a hole of depression. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in a hole of discouragement. I come to church this morning to remind you that God's love is strong enough to bring you out. God's love is powerful enough. I don't care what hole you're in. God's love can excavate that hole and bring you out in glorious fashion. God found me in a hole of brokenness in the Los Angeles County Jail. Some people think when they hear my story that I just surrendered my life to the Lord one day and all of a sudden I got serious with the Lord and I never looked back, but that's not what happened, friends. I first surrendered my, Lord, my life to the Lord as a little kid through a TV preacher. I, I, I surrendered my heart to the Lord when that preacher said somebody needs to surrender their life to the Lord and in tears I surrendered my life, my life to the Lord as a little kid, but guess what? I didn't stick with Jesus. I didn't follow through with Jesus. I went back to the streets, and in the first distraction, I joined the neighborhood gang, and it was the gang lifestyle that ripped my family apart. My oldest brother was shot at the age of 15 years old, and he died. We buried him never to return. At the age of 12 or 13 years old, I joined the neighborhood gang in the local Los Angeles community, and I began to develop a bad attitude, and my life continued on a downward spiral. At the age of 14 years old, I got shot but for the first time by rival gang members who opened fire on me from less than 10 feet away. And out of, out of multiple bullets, by the grace of God, only one hit me in my left arm and it became paralyzed for over a year. But guess what, friends? Even in my sin, God still hunted me down. At the age of 14 years old, I got arrested for a gang-related attempted murder, a shooting, and they took me to Los Padrinos Juvenile Hall. And I remember being in a cell by myself. And I always had a fear of God in my heart because my dad planted the seed of the gospel in me when I was little. Thanks God for parents who plant the seed of the gospel in your kids. They may not look like they're listening, but the word of God will never come back void. Keep bringing them to church. Keep bringing them to Bible study. Keep bringing them to prayer. I remember I was in Los Padrinos Juvenile Hall for attempted murder, and I, in, my, in my ignorance at 14 years old, I tried to strike a deal with God. I said, God, if you let me go, I'll go back to church and I'll go back to school. Three days later, they released me from Juvenile Hall, but guess what? I lied to God. I went back to the streets and I got caught up in the gang banging of Los Angeles in the late 80s and the early 90s. And at that time, the gang violence was at its ultimate high. People were getting killed left and right. People were getting shot at left and right. And I got sucked into that culture until I found myself arrested for the very last time for one gang-related murder and another attempted murder. And I remember the morning they came and arrested me. And I come from a family like many of you. My grandma, my aunts, and my 39 cousins lived in one house. <laughs> and I heard, a, I heard a knock on my door, and I thought it was my grandma who helped raise me, the one who fed me soup when I was sick. I thought it was my grandma, the one who used to rub Vicks Vapor Rug on my chest when I didn't feel good, but it wasn't her. Instead, it was the sheriff's department, and they broke down the door, and they put their gun to my head, and they said, get down, get down, get down. 
They lifted me up. I was 16 years old at this time. They escorted me through the living room, and it was one of the most shameful mornings of my life because in my living room was half my family, and there was my grandmother with tears in her eyes as she cried out, what did you do? What did you do? I put my head down, and I acted, felt so ashamed. They put me in the cop car, and the detective drove me off. I was arrested for one murder, one attempted murder, and I was slipping into darkness. For the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. That is good for a 16-year-old as it is for a 60-year-old. I remember I looked out into the streets at the people going to work or to school, and the detective turned back, and he slapped me with his words. He said, you better take a good look at them streets, boy because you'll never see them again. Rebelliously, I look back into the streets at the people going to work or school. For them, it was the start of another normal day, but for me, it was the beginning of the end. A year from that date, at the age of 17 years old, in the Compton, California courthouse, in a room full of people with my dad towards the front, the judge hit her hammer and said, Mr. Worth, I sentence you to life in prison. Not five years, not 10 years, but life in prison. I was crushed by despair. I was crushed by hopelessness. This is my first prison ID. It's red because of the high security. If you look closer, there's a big L. It does not stand for loved. They took me back to the Los Angeles County Jail. They put me in a one-man cell. And I sat there in that one-man cell with my face pressed against my knees, and it felt like the devil was choking me. It felt like the devil was laughing at me. And all of a sudden, I began to regret every time I didn't listen to my dad. I began to regret every time I didn't go to school or I I didn't go to church. And if you would have opened up that cell, I would have ran to church. I would have been on the front row. But for me at that moment, it was too late. I was condemned to die a slow death in prison. And there's nothing worse than a teenager full of dreams and aspirations slammed down in a one-man cell to die a slow death. Nothing worse. I remember sitting there with my face pressed against my knees and I heard a noise in the hallway. I looked up and I looked out the hallway and it was an elderly man passing out Christian literature. And I didn't want to talk to nobody. I was mad at the world. But this old man barged into my darkness. So I got up and I said to myself, I'm going to drop the bomb on this guy. And I got up and I said, Mr., I just got sentenced to life in prison. What in the world can you do for me? I'm 17 years old. My life is over. I'm never going to be a father. I'm never going to be a husband. I'm never going to walk down the street no more. My life is over. The world don't want me. Half my family don't want me. What in the world can you do for me? To my surprise, this old man, he wasn't even an ex-gang member. He wasn't even an ex-drug addict, but he had the gospel pumping through his veins. And to my surprise... This old man reached through the darkness of my bars and he said a quiet yet powerful prayer over me in the mighty name of Jesus. And that was God hunting me down like Zacchaeus. 
That was God hunting me down and calling my name when the world tried to tuck me away in a one-man prison cell in obscurity. The love of God hunted me down. Back to Zacchaeus. There's something else I want to bring out about Zacchaeus. Not only did Jesus hunt him down, but someone say number two. Number two, Jesus empowered Zacchaeus. Listen to this, verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. That's a radical statement right there. When Jesus says, I must stay at your house today, it speaks of partnership. It speaks of empowerment. It's stunning because no one is supposed to go to a home of a crook. It's stunning because Jesus wants the time of personal relationship and fellowship with Zacchaeus. It's stunning because Jesus defies the attitude of the people. It's stunning because Jesus defies the expectations of the religious leaders. You studied the trajectory of Jesus' ministry in the natural way, in the natural view. They killed him because he hung around sinners. That's why they were going after him. They said he's a friend of tax collectors. He goes into the homes of sinners. Listen, Jesus crossed the line for Zacchaeus. Jesus risked his life for Zacchaeus. Remember, Zacchaeus belonged to the category of the rejected. He belonged to the category of the despised. You're not supposed to go to his home. I would suggest to you this morning that that was Jesus playing out the role of the father in the story of the prodigal son. Do you remember the story? The son wants his inheritance. He takes his money from his dad and he blows it on partying and getting high and he wastes all his money and he wakes up in a pig pen and he says, oh my goodness, my life is over. And he, the Bible says he comes to his senses and he begins to realize that servants in his father's house are living better than him. So what does he do? He gets up, he begins to go to his father's house and there in the story, his dad is waiting from him and his dad loves him so much, he doesn't even allow him to get to him. Instead, the dad runs to the rebellious boy and he kisses him all over and he puts a robe over him and a ring on his finger that speaks of empowerment. Listen, friends, God did not just save us from something, but he also saved us for something. He saved us for something. Jesus restored Zacchaeus' dignity. Jesus restored Zacchaeus' honor. This would have been the first time a righteous, noble person entered into Zacchaeus' home. Jesus didn't just tolerate Zacchaeus, but get this, he celebrated Zacchaeus. Didn't just hunt him down, but he empowered him. And history teaches, not the Bible, but history teaches us that Zacchaeus goes on to be a prominent Christian leader and pastor of the church in Caesarea. And guess what, friends? You could all trace that down to Jesus crossing the line for Zacchaeus. For the Bible teaches that Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Like Zacchaeus, Jesus hunts us down to empower us to fulfill our divine destiny in life. Like Zacchaeus, Jesus calls us all by name. This is what Jesus did for me. 
Jesus didn't just save me, but he began to empower me. Remember when I told you I was in the L.A. County Jail? Remember I told you about the old man who prayed for me? Well, a couple days later, God gave me a realization in the L.A. County Jail. The Lord told me in my heart at the age of 17 years old, about to start a prison life sentence in California, he said, Brian, and I say this to everybody, but particularly to you young people here today, he tells me, Brian, sooner or later, unless you die first, you're going to want to serve me. That's what the Lord showed me in the L.A. County Jail, about to start my prison life sentence. He says, Brian, sooner or later, unless you die first, you're going to wake up 50 years from now in a prison cell or in a prison yard, and you're going to be walking around gray hair. You're going to be wrinkled and frail. You're going to waste it your whole life, and you're going to look up to the heavens, and you're going to pound your chest, and you're going to say, I wish I would have got serious with God when I was younger. The Lord gave me that realization in the L.A. County Jail. And guess what? Guess what? I decided not to wait. I decided not to wait. I said, I'm going to let the next man wait in the next cell, but I'm not going to wait. Nuh-uh. And guess what I did? At the age of 17 years old, condemned to die a slow death in prison in the Los Angeles County Jail, guess what I did? Guess what I did? I got down on my knees in that L.A. County Jail, and I cried out to the God my daddy taught me about when I was little. I cried out to Jesus. Jesus. It, it wasn't even a prayer. I didn't even know how to pray. It was more of a sigh. It was a grunt. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, help me. Lord, my life is over. I don't have nothing to give you, God, but my heart. I have no treasures. I have no money. I have nothing but my heart. And I cried out to God in L.A. County Jail. And you know what? And you know what? It was, what, was, what was a trip is that I got off my knees, right? I got off my knees, and, and, and I looked around, right? After that prayer, it wasn't like that, but it was a, it was a, it was a prayer. And um, I got up, and I looked around, and guess what? Guess what changed outwardly? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing changed outwardly. It was still dark. Freeway Freddy, the rats were still running around. The, the, the cell was still closed. The judge didn't show up with a big light. Bing! It's time for you to go home now, Brian. <laughs> Nothing changed outwardly. But I tell you today, my friends, as God is my witness, a revolution took place inwardly in my heart. A revolution took place in my heart. And Jesus dethroned the darkness. Jesus dethroned sin over my life. And I begin to serve the Lord one step at a time. I begin to serve the Lord one step at a time. And the Lord told me, he said, Brian, I just want you to take one step. Don't worry about 10 steps. Don't worry about 20 steps. Oh, but God, I need to know my future. I need to know what's going to go on. God said, no, you just worry about one step. And so I just begin to take one step. And sometimes it took me four months. Sometimes it took me a, a year. I was, I was surrounded by hyenas. I was surrounded by lions. I was 17, 18 years old, and I looked like I was 12 years old. But I took one step, and guess what? Every time I took a step, God gave me the strength to make the next step. Then he gave me the strength to take the next step. 
Then he gave me the strength the next step. And the Bible says the word is a lamp unto my feet. And the Bible says if you draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord messed around and gave me a vision. <laughs> there ain't nothing can stop a man or a woman of God with a vision. The Lord messed around and gave me a vision at the age of 17 years old. He said, Brian, if you serve me and don't give up, eventually I will bust you out of this prison system to impact the world with the gospel. He gave me a vision. I wrote down the vision. I, put, I ain't lying. I put it in my pocket. I began to pray over the vision. I began to eat over it. I cried over the vision. And I just began to take one step forward. I began to prepare for the vision. I began to read my Bible. I began to study the Bible. This is a me at the age of, I think, 18 years old in a prison cell. Look, I got my Bible right there. I'm eating the word of God. For the Bible says that thy words were found and I did eat them. And they were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. And you know what? The word of God began to do for me what doctors could not do. The word of God began to do for me what psychologists could not do. The word of God began to transform me. The word of God began to empower me. The word of God began to rebuild my moral system, my value system, begin to teach me how to love, begin to teach me how to care, begin to change the way I look. Hello, somebody. In the midst of this, in the midst of this, I was surrounded with people that had been in jail for 50 and 60 years, and they were all telling me, Brian, it doesn't matter. You're gonna die in here just like us. In the midst of all this, they were telling me, Brian, why are you going to church? Why are you getting your GED? You're gonna spend the rest of your life in prison just like, they're not letting anybody go, Brian. Look at us. And as I studied the word of God, I found out that we serve a miracle-working God. As I studied the Bible, as I studied the Bible, I found out that God can split the Red Sea. As I studied the Bible, I found out that God can raise the dead. As I studied the Bible, I found out that God loves sinners and he loves scoundrels and he calls us by name. I began to read the Bible and I found out that Jesus said, I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. As I began to serve the Lord, so I began to get faithful to God. God began to empower me. I became an inmate pastor for over 10 years. Guess what happened as I began to serve the Lord in the midst of my darkness? The abundant life that God promised began to eclipse the prison life sentence that I was given on earth. Some of y'all didn't catch that. I was sentenced to life in prison. Compton Courthouse, 1993. That's a strong statement to be up under. As I begin to serve the Lord, as I begin to be obedient to God, his promise of abundant life begin to eclipse the darkness that I was in, in living in, begin to eclipse and overshadow and consume and take over. In so much, in so much, in so much, 16 years later in 19, or in 2008, 16 years later, God Almighty had a sit-down meeting with then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Anybody remember him? Yeah. A.K.A. the Terminator? God had a sit-down meeting with Arnold Schwarzenegger up in Sacramento, and I don't know what he told him, but I like to believe he told him what he told Pharaoh 4,000 years ago, let my people go. 
In 2008, after 16 years in prison, when everybody said I was going to die in prison, when everybody said I was hopeless, the Lord God Almighty set me free and gave me back to my daddy. And God has been, God has been empowering me ever since. As I mentioned, my wife and I just celebrated our 24-year wedding anniversary. In 2012, God empowered my wife and I to start our church chapel of change with the mission to give fresh hope as a means of impacting the world with the gospel. And by the grace of God, our church has become one of the fastest growing churches in the nation to the glory of God. God is empowering me to preach the gospel around the nation and soon to be the world. He is fulfilling his word in my life. Six months after I started our church, I got a phone call from a newly elected senator. They asked me to come and give the inaugurational prayer at his public inauguration. I got so excited. I was like, wow, I finally made it. I got a haircut, put on my best suit, got my big Bible because I'm going to represent the kingdom of God. And I drove to that inauguration, and all the way over to that inauguration, the devil was hitting my mind with thoughts of insecurity and thoughts of intimidation. All driving through that inauguration, the devil was telling me, Brian, does he know that you're a murderer? Brian, does the senator know that you did 16 years in prison? Brian, does the senator know that you're a life, former life sentence uh, prisoner? Brian, listen, he, you better not go over there because he's going to find out and it's going to shame him and then he's going to publicly shame you. You better not go over there. And I remember sitting in my truck at the parking lot and I remember I said, man, I'm being overwhelmed by insecurity and intimidation. So I, I, I did what I was trained to do. I begin to remind myself of who I was in Christ Jesus. I begin to remind myself that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I begin to remind myself that I'm forgiven by God. I begin to remind myself that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I begin to remind myself that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, I begin to get empowered, and I grab my Bible, and I, and I put my suit like this. I said, I'm walking up in there like a son of God. I walked, I walked into the inauguration, and a host came to me and said, Pastor Brian, come here, come here. And the host escorted me all the way to the front, and I stood there in the front, and there was three seats with three big name tags on it. The first one said, Mayor, City of Long Beach. The second one said, LA, L.A. County Supervisor, Don Kanabi. And the third one said, Pastor Brian Worth. Come on, somebody. Come on. As I stood there, it was as if God was saying to me, Brian, Ever since you called upon my mighty name at the age of 17 years old in the L.A. County Jail, I've had this seat of empowerment waiting for you. I had this seat of restoration for you. I had this seat of fatherhood for you. I had this seat of marriage for you, leadership for you, and it had your name on it all along. Don't stop trusting in me now. Don't stop believing in me now. Don't stop praying to me now. Shepherd Church. Shepherd Church, there's more people in the world like I was, broken, busted, and disgusted, but with God-given 
potential. And God has called you, Shepherd Church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this generation. He's called you to go out there and pluck them out from the fire. Or maybe you're here today and you feel like Zacchaeus, like, like you feel lost. You lost your dignity. You lost your way in life. Listen, God is here calling you by name. God is calling you by name, and all you got to do is let Jesus into your heart, serve him. Listen, Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. I want to invite you to stand to your feet this, after, this morning, if you're able to stand to your feet. If you're here today and you need to give your life to the Lord, and you need to surrender your life to the Lord, or if you're here today, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord, or if you're here today and you need to be baptized or you need prayer, I want to invite you that to my left, there's going to be some prayer counselors that after I dismiss with a blessing, you're invited. If you need to surrender your life to the Lord, if you need to get baptized, some of y'all need to get serious with the Lord. You've messed up many times before, but God says it's time for you to get serious with him. As I bless you out today, I invite those that need to surrender the Lord to come forward, go to my left. There are some prayer counselors for you. Let me bless everyone out today. If you're able to lift up your hands, I'll bless you out for this week. In the name of the Father, who loves you with an endless love. In the name of the Son, who hunts you down. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who calls you by name. May you surrender to the Lord, and may you go today with the blessing of the Lord of empowerment. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Go in peace, Shepherd Church. God bless you. The Lord loves you.